Welcome to an Audible. My name is Jeremy Wyland, and I'm joined by Nithin Reddy today. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the archives of organizations like LL Research, Circle R, and others. The archives contain transcripts of messages from allegedly discarnate sources who articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution. If you would like an audio version of these transcripts, please subscribe to Ryan's other podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. Nithin and I will try to provide analysis and commentary on the philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. Thanks for joining us on this journey. And Nithin, how's it going, man? Wonderful. How are you? I am doing great. Uh, I was just uh, telling Nithin that uh, I recorded with uh, Ryan the podcast that the listeners probably heard last week by the time they hear this. So I'm doubling up today. So if I seem a little bit frayed, that's why. But I actually think that this is good. I should just like record like a month's worth of episodes in a day and just get it over with. Because then I'm like, I feel like I'm firing on all cylinders right now. No, you you seem great. I think uh, that's a good idea. Go yeah. for it. Cool. Well, uh, the topic for today is we wanted to dive back into this concept uh, that Ryan and I talked about uh, on a previous episode. The present moment. It's a very important concept in the Law of One philosophy. Um, it is kind of something that uh, the Confederation returns to on a regular basis as an important entryway to many of the uh, uh, you know, ideas that they're talking about, the, the, the nature of consciousness, uh, the nature of uh, time and its function in our evolution, um, the concept of intelligent infinity as a sort of plenum of the creator's infinitude and how we can access that through the present moment. All of these things come up here and there in Confederation material and... Um, I thought it'd be really cool to uh, talk with Nathan about this and just uh, we have some notes that we've, assemb- we've assembled. So we're just going to like have a freewheeling discussion and uh, I'll put in the show notes any um, excerpts that we discuss and we'll just uh, we'll just kind of wing it from here. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Cool. So um, I think one place to start is that uh, if there's if there's one thing about the present moment that uh, usually predominates in Confederation material, it's the invocation to find the love in the moment. To me, that's kind of like a starting space for exploring this because that sets up a conundrum in my mind when I think about it as a normal human being. Uh, if there's one thing about life, it's that there's, it often feels like it lacks that love and security and stability that we associate with comfort and that these uncomfortable moments that we go through seem to lack what we, what we crave, that kind of connection to creator that we crave. And yet the Confederation insists uh, quite, uh, 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 quite a lot on uh, the fact that love is present in this moment. And it seems like a big part of quote unquote seeking is finding this love. Is that kind of how you think about that concept of finding the love in the moment? A little bit. I, it, it does, it does seem a little bit of a paradox because at one level, you know, catalysts and being uncomfortable is sometimes um, 
the way in which we're motivated onto a spiritual path. And, you know, even Raw talks about this. And in, in, in a lot of ways, the catalyst is basically something's bothering you in the moment, right? Um, but it really seems that in my personal experience, as well as theoretical discussion in the law of one material, that you can use that to accelerate your ability to find love in the moment. Um, you know, you'll see the patterns in whatever problems you're having and you'll notice that um, maybe it's not something that's happening to you externally, but it's really the way you're perceiving your reality right now in this moment, right? Yeah. Um, I, but I, I overall, I do think that it's at first it's kind of like, wait, what's going on? And, and, I, and I think a lot of ways uh, I, I have used this phrase before in other contexts that uh, part of the spiritual journey is taking personal emotional responsibility. And obviously, you don't want to use that word in a way to gaslight people. But mm -hmm. ultimately, it's this concept that if something's bothering you, um, maybe barring something crazy like physical torture, it's ultimately because of the way you're perceiving the moment, the whatever distortions, lenses, beliefs, um, some of them not even conscious, which is <laughs> really hard, right? Right. Uh, but something that's either in the front of your mind or in the back of the mind that's coloring your experience of the moment. Yeah, uh, that's a really interesting uh, a point about it not necessarily being conscious, because I think that's often what haunts us about being, uh, like the Buddhists talk about being nailed to the present moment, right? This idea of being thick, like we want to escape the present moment by like projecting into the past or the future or into our imagination or being anywhere but where we actually are at the moment. And maybe the reason why that tortures us sometimes so much is because we don't have necessarily conscious access to the full potential of what's unfolding in that present moment. After all, it's in the present moment that all of the opportunities exist for change, for transformation, for new ways of thinking. Like they don't happen in the past and they don't happen in the future because that's not where we are. We can only, men like we talked about in a past episode, we can only mentally project into those other parts of time. It, but right now is when all of our agency exists. All, and it's also uh, when the choice actually gets uh, usefully made. Um, that choice that we make over and over and over again that uh, that sort of cements our polarity, right? Our polarity is not about choices we made in the past. Right. At, at, a, at, a, at a root level, polarity is about how we are going to meet reality right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And I like that idea that because we bring a lot of unconscious bias into things, we bring our past experiences into things. That, uh, you know, there there is like a... Um, there's an excerpt where they talk about how the one of the things that makes the present moment so powerful is that it's a nexus of all of these different energies and distortions and influences that come together to create something new in your consciousness, new in your experience. And on a fundamental level, I think one of the things that we learn to do as seekers is open up to that. It's uh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I, I, in my experience, that's why meditation, you know, which is a tool and you can use it many different ways like exercise, right? There's a multitude of ways of doing exercise, each for a different purpose, but meditation is a tool. And, and one way meditation can be used is to uh, get a taste of the present moment, perhaps even if you're not very um, perhaps uh, experienced on the path, 
Uh, and we, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this more later, but often if we have a lot of uh, unresolved issues from the past uh, in our daily waking life, it can be difficult to be able to just be in the moment, right? Because everything is from the past is always coming up and the past ba- uh, issues or baggage that comes up often immediately creates fears about the future, right? Because you're worried about that. Um, but one thing I found useful and true in my path is that even with all that early on, you know, with the right um, or the the appropriate forms of meditation, you can get a taste of uh, that infinite love in the moment in meditation, right? It, mm-hmm. it, in a lot of ways, it makes you very present if, uh, you know, you know, maybe not right away, but, uh, you know, I think for a lot of people uh, with the right approach within a few months, you'll actually feel that. And then using that as a springboard to kind of understand that that's something you can take into waking life as well. It mm-hmm. can be uh, very useful. Yeah, like I I love that Pima Chodron line. Uh, I know I've said it multiple times on this podcast, but uh, we don't meditate to become better better meditators. We meditate to become more awake in our lives. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and, and a translation of that to the present uh, topic is we meditate to better and better participate in the present moment. Like it's one like we it's almost like we go into a still space and contemplate the nature of our thought and how that mixes with time and our feeling in a way that's very open-ended and doesn't put a lot of pressure on us. So that when we get into those situations that are a lot more hustle bustle, right? In, in the real world that we can recognize the potential, the present moment and fully participate in its ability to change us. Right? Yes, absolutely. And while we're kind of discussing you know, useful ways of kind of discovering or at least getting a taste of, of love in the moment uh, early in the path. Um, you know, normal disclaimer about uh, substance uses, uh, use and things of that nature. But, you know, if you're in a place like, uh, I believe, Denver, Colorado, where, you know, the use of certain psychedelics like mushrooms are legal, you know, those, those things, in my experience, um, if done in a certain way with a meditative intent in the right atmosphere they can really uh help you also taste that now obviously if you're if you're using that as a crutch that's not uh, and you're and that's the only way you can get to that state it's not a good thing but you know that also can give you a glimpse as to kind of what is the potential that is out there and uh once again taking those lessons in your daily waking sober life is what's key about kind of uh learning from those experiences yeah there's there is a few uh aspects uh, uh, that I found in the conscious channel material that talked about the way that the structure that the logos has created for time for us, this, this, that, that we have this consecutivity to time and that we're constantly given these new opportunities that this is part of the nature of the creation that the creator has bestowed upon us is that there's that these, these moments seem to, Uh, always be fresh and new and give us a new opportunity to learn or something like that. And that maybe these drugs help to uh, give you a little bit of flexibility in that structure that otherwise um, often can seem like a prison, (laughs) right? The idea that you could like slow down and like start to experience things on different terms. And then you sort of understand uh, what Quo and Hatan and Ra often say of how much depth 
is available in each and every present moment that we gloss over, that we are, that we rush right by. If we know what the potential is, if we know what's possible, then we can strive to achieve it in a more regular um, way that draws upon our own capacities rather than using the crutch. Right. Yes. And, and, you know, when we, when you use the word achieve, I think of in terms of arriving in that state organically, you know, because a lot of the time, if you try and set a goal that can be useful, but ultimately, you know, to, to make it, I think closer to always experiencing or experiencing as much as love in the moment as you can. It's about that flow state. And a lot of times if you just set a goal and kind of use uh, old patterns of like motivation and willpower that only get you so far because ultimately, and there's a, you know, there's a quote where talks about this, that one of the, sometimes one of the greatest um, impediments to finding love in the moment is the mind. And it's important to quiet the mind. And once again, that phrase quiet the mind in my experience isn't so much an active quieting, uh, although you can actively quiet the mind. It's more of, you know, doing, doing the daily work of processing catalysts, you know, looking deep within yourself, uh, any triggers you had in the day, well, um, how do they relate to beliefs or perspectives that you have had or had, you know, memories you have in the past and kind of, um, healing and resolving whatever distortions are there so that, the mind is just naturally quiet at that point, right? The more stress you have, the more unresolved things you have, the mind, and when I say mind, I'm including both the unconscious or subconscious and the conscious mind, you know, it has a lot going on if there's a lot of things in the back of your mind that you haven't resolved. But um, once you get, you know, better at kind of digging out, and honestly, it's kind of annoying how much stuff there is to dig, but <laughs> once you get better at digging it out, you'll just naturally notice that your mind is more quiet just in every, each and every moment. And that the energy, you know, intelligent infinity, whatever you want to call it, you'll just naturally feel it more so moment to moment. And it's, it's a wonderful feeling. I'm sure. Yeah. And I mean, we, I think a lot of people have had these moments out of time that happened to them randomly or because of some like huge catalyst. Um, sometimes even like trauma can do that. Right. Um, and you know, it's funny because I think that one of the things that nails us to the present moment, the most are, are, are emotions that are difficult to process. One of the things that I was thinking about, and I don't know if this is sound, it might not, uh, it might not be a, a, a rational or reasonable thought, but I try to think about memories of emotions or imagining feeling emotions and how pale they are in comparison to when I am actually feeling something like right now. That's the present moment is that connection to feeling. And I feel like a lot of times when we're going through our life and we're living, we're like doing a job or we are, uh, you know, doing what needs to be done to be in a relationship or we're like driving or just doing the normal duties of everyday life. A lot of what we're glossing over is emotion is the, the, the depth of feeling that is possible because it's, it's destabilizing 
<laughs> it, it, it will drag, it will capture our attention. And so, um, I think that a lot of the work of the discipline of the personality that meditation involves and other kinds of reflection on the self, like you were saying, is uh, becoming more familiar with those feelings so that when the present moment calls them out, and, I'm, and, and I think the thing that I'm uh, speculating on is that we feel things deepest when they are occurring right now. When they, they kind of yes. pull us in and we can't... Ig- we can't ignore them, right? So, like, I, I, because I, I try to come up with like practical things that we can do with this information, and I think knowing that feeling deeply and being in the present moment are like two kind of like tied things that we can recognize our presence through our emotion. I think that I, I, that makes sense to me. I don't know. I it doesn't really have a great deal of backing in the material. But it's something that I've kind of like gleaned out of like surveying all this stuff, you know? No, I, I, I resonate with that a lot. It's almost that uh, sometimes I think of it as um, there, there's many stages to processing catalysts, but obviously one, one stage is just experiencing that flood of emotions in the moment. Yeah. And it's almost like you are a channel for that energy and that emotion. And it's important to acknowledge it. And, you know, I, I'm sure this has been mentioned before. Feelings aren't always logical and it's important to recognize because feelings aren't logical you can have you tr- you truly can have as weird as it is at least for me because i'm very logical i'd like to think uh, you can truly have feelings that stem from completely opposite perspectives and that you believe in both of those you might have one that you believe in a, a larger extent and the other one might have a minority position but you can have completely opposite views creating multiple emotions within you and part of uh what's important is to you know accept and acknowledge each of those sometimes contradictory emotions in the moment and it actually it actually helps you be more present in the moment yeah and it's there's there's a very close uh in my opinion a relationship just like you said between just allowing that emotion in the moment to feel it and also being able to experience love in the moment yeah and I think, I think, so why don't we do that more often? I guess because, uh, like, well, there's this one, there's this one excerpt, uh, November 5th, 1989. I think it, I think it might be Hatan, um, where they say one of the choices each spiritual entity makes is whether to move upon that, which is consciously known in making life decisions and in living moment to moment, or casting all safety to went to the winds and trusting the self to the risky business of feeling the depths and heights of each present moment. So you're asking why we don't do that. I I'm, I'm, I, I don't know what I'm asking. I'm kind of, I have a confused thought right now, but I'm trying to, I, I'm trying to work with this idea of the emotions in the present moment. And I think you, you brought a, a, a great idea that um, it's the catalytic nature that, that has a lot of the stuff for us to work with from an evolutionary perspective. I'm really interested in how to kind of tell if we're fully engaging with our emotions or not. And therefore, if there's some connection to presence of attention, right? Is there an easy way to tell if we're engaging with our emotions from moment to moment? That's, that's tough. Uh, that's just tough because I... I, I 
every emotion has its own kind of unique characteristic, right? Anger is very different than guilt. That is very different than sadness. And well, the reason I thought the excerpt was interesting was because it talks about the risk involved in the present moment, that the risk of feeling fully what is occurring to one. I mean, that's, that's why I think often we have these out of time moments during trauma or, you know, like I, you know, I've been broken up before and it's like, I've been broken up with before and it's like time slows down. Right. Or, you know, getting fired and time slows down or, you know, you, you, you just have these moments where the things that you're committed to that give you safety and security and orient you in life. If you lose them, all of a sudden you're floating. You re- you are ex- from a Buddhist perspective, you're experiencing the groundlessness that was always there to begin with. Right, right. Um, and that groundlessness and that that is is also pure freedom in a way, because you're not by not being attached to anything, by not by not being committed uh, to attenuating your experience to just the things that make it predictable and safe and able to do a job and all that then you are opening yourself up to something that is really, I mean, I think emotions are dangerous in a way. That's why they're of a consequence, you know? Yeah. You know, maybe it's the attachment to that expectation and the, um, which is both, you know, having that job or not being broken up as well as there's an expectation that, um, we don't want to experience bad emotions, right? That uh, maybe a lot of us grow up in the society thinking that a good life is one where you don't experience bad emotions. And, you know, the more you go down this path, you realize that's not really true. It's kind of almost the opposite. If you're able to accept and process the bad emotions, that is the key to, you know, a happier life. Um, So maybe it's just a, it's an issue of how we're taught to um, relate to our bad emotions growing up. I think there's also a societal aspect to it in that there's a lot of subtle things, at least in American society, where, you know, everything's kind of prioritized to be the productive worker. And, you know, just <laughs> don't really engage your feelings, just take a pill, if you're really having mental health issues, just, I feel like there's a lot of um, kind of background that what we value isn't necessarily happiness as much as, you know, being a good citizen, being a good worker, whatever, conforming to the norms of society is more yeah. important, perhaps than that personal journey. Yeah. Yeah. And like the, the, and I think you were talking about this earlier when uh, you were talking about how conscious our experience of all the potential that's in that moment, how conscious that actually is, how much of it is working on a deeper level. There was a, um, a quo that kind of dealt with this that I'll, I'll read right now. It's really short. It's uh, January 15th, 95. It is well to strive towards the ideals of being present and practicing the presence of the infinite creator. It simply needs to be pointed out that this, like other states of conscious existence, is that which is upon the surface of the personality of the life experience, whereas the work of an incarnation redounds to the very depth of the self, to the roots of mind, the last thirsty roots of consciousness that reach into that which is deity. Because the present moment is kind of like a nexus of all of these different concerns, that that's why I think it has this potential to like that the work that we do in the present moment is not necessarily work that we're conscious of. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, as much as I try to work upon the self, 
the, the actual focus time, I'm like, yeah, I'm working on the self feels like maybe an hour a day, right? Mm-hmm. But in actuality, throughout the day, you're in the present moment. Um, yeah. But you can't uh, kind of understate how much of doing the personal work so that your mind is just more naturally quiet really does help you be in that present moment so much easier. So it's so much easier to be in that present moment when you're not constantly having to deal with stuff that you haven't dealt with, right? Whether consciously or, or unconsciously. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and also it's, it's, there are tools that, so that we can do things like process the emotions that register so intensely in the present moment. Um, there, there are ways that we can, uh, uh, grease the wheels there and smooth that process. For example, if you have a daily or regular practice of reflecting on your day and giving yourself a chance to digest things that didn't fully register, didn't fully get processed in that moment where you first felt them. Because we all instinctively back away from pain. We all instinctively back away from discomfort. And it, it, it's, it's entirely possible that we are not going to meet the moment in its full potential. In fact, like, I think what the, what the excerpt I just read said is that we need to have a lot of compassion for ourselves and our inability to really uh, chew and swallow everything that's on offer in the present moment because we are in this state of flux and growth and transition. So to the extent that we can uh, go back and revisit emotions that were maybe incompletely experienced in the present, they won't be as vivid, right? But they could still be worked with. And, and, and like I've often said that, you know, this, this balancing of emotions that Ra talks about has this effect in my mind of like decoupling the raw emotion from the proximate event so that we stop confusing the balancing of emotions as dealing with the details of how they present in, in phenomenal life. And instead can just deal with the emotions on their own terms. Um, the more that we can do that, then the more that we will see perhaps more we will see uh, the the raw emotional value that's in these present moments that seems so threatening sometimes or so or so overwhelming right like even really powerful positive emotions can overwhelm somebody and, and disorient you know yeah and um, you know you mentioned how that sometimes you can go back and revisit a memory and that's absolutely true and to kind of balance it. But what is also true is I find that if you have something unresolved and it's uh, non-trivial, uh, life will have a way of bringing some situation that brings up that similar emotion. Uh, and it may be slightly different context or very similar context. And you might not even see the connection initially, but the, if you, you're, you're doing the work, um, the connection will become clear. And at which point the potential to kind of uh, heal that distortion becomes available. And... You know, I think we've talked about this in other contexts, but one of the most important things about how to achieve kind of this uh, ability to, to find love in the present moment is one of uh, Ra's uh, recommendations and exercises. So, you know, one of the early questions um, that they have when they're channeling with Ra is, for the general development of the reader of this book, could you state some of the practices or exercises to perform to produce an acceleration towards the law of one and raw answers exercise one this is the most nearly centered and usable within your illusion complex the moment contains love that is the lesson goal of this illusion or density 
the exercise is to consciously seek that love and awareness and understanding distortions. And then it goes on. But then exercise two, the universe is one being. When a mind-body-spirit complex views another mind-body-spirit complex, see the creator. Exercise three, gaze within a, a mirror, see the creator. Exercise four, gaze at creation which lies about the mind-body-spirit complex of each entity, see the creator. And then this last bit, it's not termed an exercise, but it's very, very important. The foundation or prerequisite of these exercises is a predilection towards what may be called meditation, contemplation, or prayer. With this attitude, these exercises can be processed. And, uh, you know, uh, Jeremy and I were talking earlier this week because I, I was going through, uh, you know, some major catalysts. And uh, honestly, you know, I just said a prayer and and, and I, <laughs> my ego is such that uh, I don't I don't <laughs> I don't go to meditation, contemplation or prayer uh, often, except when it's that daily allotted hour. But this was a prayer outside of my daily allotted hour for self-improvement. Right. Um, because I was just it was so uh, catalytic for me. And what was interesting was um, there's just a moment of peace. And then, you know, I, I kind of almost felt something a twinge in my third eye. And then, you know, within the next few hours, it was almost like um, nonverbal information had been given to me or something. And then in the next few hours, uh, next 12 hours, I was able to, you know, do my regular meditation and, and, and figure out actually um, what, what was that uh, lesson that was important for me to learn. It was, a, it, was a, it was a connection from my present catalyst to a past kind of distorted belief I had from d decades ago, frankly. And it was, it was amazing. Once that connection was made and was healed, it was just like, you know, I, I think I said the raging sea is now calm, right? So it was just, it was, it was beautiful. Um, so it's, I think it's very important to be able to really be able to understand that it's finding love in the moment is not just a nebulous thing. It's uh it's something that you can actually accelerate towards if you, you know, do certain things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that it plays this role. It sounds like the, you know, the, the last sentence in that, Thing you just read uh so with this attitude these seats can be processed these exercises can be processed without it the data will not sink down into the roots of the tree of mind thus enabling and ennobling the body and touching the spirit and the spirit is the conduit to the the undifferentiated unified creator that plenum of intelligent uh, infinity that we draw upon um, and that we manifest as we get clearer and clearer connection to the creator within. So the idea, so this is very important work is the point. This yeah. is, this is, this is, this is the meat of what, of what having a sequence of, of present moments is trying to do. It's we're trying to, we get opportunity after opportunity, after opportunity to demonstrate uh the ability to seat these things correctly and to, and to digest the, 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 the emotions that we feel. But, um, if we don't take that time, uh, then we end up making a lot more, uh, present moments of pain and, and, and difficult emotions, I think. And, you know, um, one thing that I think it's important to note is that the, the importance of the present moment in this journey isn't just something that's in, you know, the, LL research material, you know, it's in Taoism, it's in Zen Buddhism, you know, mm -hmm. Alan Watts talks about it, Eckhart Tolle talks about it. Um, it's, it really is 
a very key aspect of of a, of a person's journey in, in, into the spirit. Um, it's from this sort of relationship to the present moment that I believe you can have that connection to God or Creator, whatever you want, you know, whatever you want to call it, Source. Uh, so it's a very, it's a very key aspect. Uh, and I, I'm just, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this in that uh, I think it's very closely related to enlightenment forever, however you want to define that. But it's, it's, I would define enlightenment as being able to flow and, and, and feel that love in the moment more often than not without effort. And certainly for some people, I'm sure it's an on off switch, but for me, it feels more like a, a gradual process. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, it's just amazing. I've had experiences where, you know, I'm totally sober, not, uh, you know, not doing much of anything, but I, I just really try to, you know, sometimes take a deep breath and just focus on just the energy that's around me. And I can feel that more so when I'm not stressed. Right. Yeah. And sometimes, and this is outside of meditation. It's just be like me sitting on the couch, staring out of, you know, window into, you know, trees and stuff. You'll just feel sometimes this, uh, orgasmic energy, this ecstasy all over your body. The best way to describe it is that the emotion of peace and relaxation, the deeper that gets, it actually turns into orgasmic ecstasy. Like it's, they are, they're the same, like they're just the same emotion, just deepened. And it's just, you, it almost feels like this is the nature of reality at a very deep level. And it's always there. Now, whether you can access it or not, <laughs> that's a little bit more difficult, but yeah. um, it's, it's just amazing, right? It just, it's, it's indescribable. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, and I, I think it's really important to locate that experience in the present moment so that people, um, so that, so that we understand, uh, uh, how to recognize these moments, um, that they're not to be found by like doing something in particular or not doing something in particular, but by just being fully engaged in the goodness of what we already are part of. Um, and I also think that it, the, 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 the reason why I was, I was going in the direction of the connection with the spirit complex involved in the present moment is that I get a really, I, I get the sense that the present moment is, an element of the gateway to intelligent infinity that, um, there's a, there's a raw quote, um, uh, session 17 question two, uh, where they, they talk about enlightenment and the present moment in that context. We cannot offer shortcuts to enlightenment. Enlightenment is of the moment is an opening to intelligent infinity. It can only be accomplished by the self for the self. Another self cannot teach, learn enlightenment but only teach, learn information, inspiration, or a sharing of love, of mystery, of the unknown that makes the other self reach out and begin the seeking process that ends in a moment. But who can know when an entity will open the gate to the present? It just seems like they put such an emphasis on this event of really getting in touch with the present moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, it's almost like, you know, the present moment is like the unified creator exists in an infinite present. And the more that we can, uh, like tune into that, tune our attention into that, 
bring that focus to the present moment instead of on the sequence of, of, of things that are, that we're projecting into that creates the structure of time. Time mediates this change and transformation that allows us to have an experience of separation. But at the, at the end of the day, what's drawing us the upward spiraling light that's drawing us back to the creator. Uh, we tap into that now, not one second, uh, not one second back or one second forward, but right now. Um, and I think uh, there's another excerpt here um, from the January 15th, 95 uh, quo that I talked about earlier. And I think it makes it, I think this explains why I think I, I kind of feel like I'm going in circles a little bit, but uh, quo talks about how hard this is to talk about. Uh, they say, you see, when seekers speak of living within the present moment, they are attempting to describe within the illusion and using as the tools of the illusion that which does not take part within the illusion. Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree. A lot of, <laughs> so many of these concepts, it's like, you know, we're just pointing to the shadows on, on, in, in the cave, right? Plato. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if words don't fully describe any of this. And we can kind of just generally kind of point in the direction, but it's really, it's having that personal taste or at least the personal curiosity. So you get a, a taste, a glimpse of what people are pointing to so that you can kind of help yourself understand, you know, it's that personal connection to these concepts and the material uh, that really, I think, help, um, under, help us understand what other people are describing as enlightenment, as describing love in the moment. But ultimately, it comes back to, it's almost like, uh, you know, they talk about this in, in many contexts that if you've never, um, like if uh, someone who's born blind, you can't really describe color to them. You just, it doesn't, and yeah. I don't think we're born blind in a spiritual sense, but we might not have too much of a glimpse. But it's really important to understand that if you're just trying to purely understand this on the basis of the words and you're not mm -hmm. trying to tie this in to some sort of experience or at least possible experience that these words could be alluding to, it's going to be very difficult to, 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 to really understand what's being said. Now you can, now you might say, I, I really don't have anything I can tie this to. Well, that's a, maybe an invitation to try to put some of these, uh, exercises into practice and see if you can start experiencing some of that. But uh, it makes, I, I, I totally agree with what uh, Quo was saying in the quotation you have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another, another part of this that makes it a little bit difficult to invite people to uh, fully participate in the present moment is that often um, like what's needed for the transformation that's possible in the present moment is losing things that we already have of dumping past ideas, past concepts, past fears, like it's in that mo Like, I, I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you've had this experience, uh, but maybe you wouldn't describe it the way that I'm going to. But when you make, you have those moments in your life where you make a concrete step forward. You can feel that you crossed a threshold and that you've let go of something that defined you in the past. And you're embracing something that isn't fully known that you are going to, you know, relate to. Um, that's the kind of thing that I feel like happens in a moment. It's a very uh, sudden, like lightning struck tower archetype kind of thing. 
And um, I think that sometimes that is why people kind of recoil is they recognize the change that the present moment might demand of them, that the time has come for some transformation, that the full awareness of the present moment makes everything plain and it's no longer easy to exist in uh, denial. Um, the kind of denial that we use to tell ourselves stories about why we can and can't do this and that. Um, there's a, there, I don't know if it's Quo or Hatan, but it's uh, November 5th, 1989. Uh, and it's talking about the biases and baggages, baggage that we bring to the present moment and how it gives us an opportunity to let go of it. They say, each time a truth has worked in, in the past, sorry, let me start over. Each time a truth that has worked in the past ceases to work in the present, much difficult work must be done in consciousness. For your mind must lose or dump the program, which no longer is effectual for the seeking entity, in order to make a place for a new understanding that will inevitably change the seeker in some way. Change is painful. Dumping information is painful. Letting go of old truths is painful. Being uncertain is painful. Being at risk is painful. And I just think it's good to acknowledge, um, again, that opening up fully to the contingencies of the moment is not something that is all rainbows and unicorns, right? Oh, absolutely not. Um, yeah, change can be very uncomfortable, at least initially. Uh, yeah, it, it can be very uncomfortable. I, you know, that... Uh, experience you're describing or those sorts of experiences, you know, the lightning strikes at the tower. I've, I've definitely had those, but um, I'm kind of jealous. Sounds like you've been having more of those, man. So you gotta, we gotta sh compare notes here as to how you're achieving that. But uh, yeah, even, even when I'm not like, so this comes up a lot with um, a lot of times I feel like we grow up in a society where we have norms of conduct and we don't ever question those norms. And a lot of times much work can be done and you can find more love in the moment when you just start questioning these these norms or these even personal rules you've had, right? So, mm -hmm. for example, maybe a common one is in the past, if uh, I said I was going to go to a party or something and, you know, I'm an introvert, although I, I do love parties. But sometimes you just, you know, I don't, I get my energy in solitude. So occasionally, I had, let's say I had a really busy week and I was, you know, interacting with a lot of people. I feel drained. I don't want to go to this party. Um you know, in the past, I've kind of forced myself out of obligation. I should go, blah, blah. And, you know, you can, nowadays, I just ask myself, what is the most loving thing to do in this moment? And sometimes that's saying, you know, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it or sorry for canceling last minute and just not go. And, and, and just trusting that even though you might have these fears of, well, I'm, am I going to upset the host? Am I going to burn bridges? Am I going to lose connection to these friends? Just trusting that if you truly are, doing the work and you're doing it to find love in the moment that ultimately it'll work out, right? It builds your sense of faith. And so far, you know, in a variety of these experiences, um, they've been positive, right? Sometimes you make that decision to whatever, not go to that party. And maybe those friends do drop away from you, but ultimately it's, uh, it's all part of the growth. And sometimes that's what's, what was, what needed to be happened for you to enter that next stage of that new transformation of who you are to become. And that is scary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I often think of the uh, 
the the illusion that is always talked about that is 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 more than half in a lot of ways from my point of view made up of these kind of like past ideas of who we are these past commitments that we've made that define who we are and that we carry around with us in this kind of yellow ray identity of our personality and that oftentimes it's the immediacy of the moment that really calls that out, calls out um, the things that are no longer serving us. And we feel them really deeply to boot. Um, and that's all illusion that can feel. That's why I think I have, I, I've, that's how I explain how transformational the experience, these experiences can be. Because they feel like um, I made a conscious decision to redefine who Jeremy is. Sometimes it's hard to even explain what that would mean, but I feel it, right? That 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 inner self, that inner anchor that I carry around with me, I get this feeling that it moved, it looks different now from the outside, right? It always feels the same in the inside, but it looks different from the outside, and how I connect to it is different. Um, I would also say, like, you know, for those of us who are seekers who have uh, found more than one path in our lives that we've traveled, right? Like more than one spiritual philosophy or discipline. It can, when you find that new thing, it's really, really cool, but it often means letting go of what contextualized your life up to that point. The kinds of rules of life that you had about what your values are and, and how you parse them into actions in this world and letting go of that, of the certainty of that, uh, for something new can be really painful too. I know I've done it many times. I, I remember struggling uh, when I first found the law of one because it had such a fundamentally different view of the nature of growth in the spirit from what I had most studied up to that point, which was A Course in Miracles. A Course in Miracles, uh, I'm, I'm, being, I'm, I'm really... Um, generalizing here and probably erroneously, but the sense that I got was a course in miracles was like how to transcend the illusion, how to overcome the illusion and not let it trap you anymore. Um, so that you can be one with God. Whereas the law of one had to my mind, a completely different valence. It was talking about using the illusion, like investing in the illusion as illusion in order to understand your reflection, the, the, the shadow that it casts so that you can understand yourself and understand the creator better. Now, I've talked with Course in Miracles people, and they don't necessarily disagree with that Law of One interpretation. And I've talked with Law of One people, and they don't necessarily, uh, they have an interpretation of the Course in Miracles approach that doesn't require us to overcome things, right? But, um, and they're just two different views of the same thing, but one was more was more useful to me at a certain point. And then I had to let go of it because another thing came up that seemed more useful, even though it took a lot of work to, to be, to feel it, to feel as at home with that as I had with the old thing. So it's funny because even right before you started describing your experiences, I was thinking of the same thing when, in terms of how we change and then each version of us is a little bit different. So I didn't go through too many spiritual practices, but um, when I found the law of one, I certainly, you know, uh, 
felt like I was going to take this, this spiritual stuff super seriously because I felt drawn in and that I was going to maybe withdraw from the illusion. Right. Um, and it, in some ways it's what, what, what I needed, you know, cause I was able to focus on a lot of healing, like, you know, daily multiple hours of personal work on top of like one hour of solid meditation, you know, for almost like two years and, you know, withdraw from like normal, like I think alcohol, partying, whatever, it wasn't dating much. And, you know, it's, what's interesting is I think that almost might be some sort of archetypal journey mm-hmm. because it's almost like you, f- you find all this material, um, and either through your curiosity or more likely it's because you're, you're trying to find healing for yourself. And a lot of times for most of us, at least for me, the fact that you had, you, you needed healing or you, you sought out healing, you're a little bit bitter. Like, well, why can't life just be good? Why do I have to like do all this stuff? And it's almost like a, a rejection of the illusion, right? The illusion yeah. gave you all those issues, or at least you perceive that the illusion gave you all these distortions, right? Uh, and then as you go deeper and start removing some of the stuff, you really realize that you already had those distortions at some level and it was your interpretation of the illusion. It was that free will aspect that created those distortions and it's not necessarily the illusion itself. And then, and then at least for me, and it sounds like you went through this as well, you move back and you find spirit, you find spiritual material or you interpret spiritual material in such a way that you realize the illusion and the spiritual path, they're meant to go together. You know, it's not, you shouldn't, it's not, it's not useful as useful to reject the illusion and realize it's, it's, it's the illusion exists because that's the way in which we evolve. And it's not, it's something to be celebrated, frankly, right. At a a deeper level. So now it's like, you know, and you also have to look within yourself and I realize, Hey, I might be an introvert. It might be this, this, and this, but you know, I, I love going to parties. You know, I, I, I enjoy alcohol in moderation. Like, you know, I enjoy these things. Right. Um, and that's just who I am. And it, it's not an impediment to my journey. And actually, once I was able to heal myself to a very basic extent, you know, because healing's an endless process, right? Removing right. those distortions is an endless process. But once I was able to, like, get rid of a lot of stuff, I realized, hey, this is this is a key part of who this persona, Nithin Reddy, is. Like, what he likes, what he dislikes. And that's okay, right? Ultimately, yeah. we, we incarnate... Uh, you know, the creator has these separate selves because that it's meant to be experienced. And I think experiencing it is engaging with the illusion in a very full fashion. Now, it doesn't mean you don't you ignore the personal work, but it's, hey, engage in your daily life. You know, it's life is meant to be lived. It's meant to engage, be engaged with, not withdraw from. Absolutely. In the last... Um episode that we recorded this morning they they had a they had a line in there that was like you know the function of a wanderer's life is to live life fully to be fully engaged in it and i think that's like what's so in some ways perplexing about this the, how 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 fully we uh invest the present moment with possibility and mystery is that it is so it is so front and center in our in our ability to experience, in our ability to uh, engage the illusion, and yet it has all of this, like 
it has all this potential and yet it's also the most mundane thing in the world right like it's uh and and it's really like a moment by moment choice about how we engage it you know one thing that uh i think it's important to touch on just because it came up last week uh, for me and i think it comes up for a lot of seekers who um kind of focus on on the present moment is that sometimes it's hard to figure out what love in the present moment is like you'll be faced with something and maybe it's emotional and it requires some sort of action. And, you know, you can also define action as inaction, but choosing to take no action is a choice, right? right. So, you know, maybe there's something that, that draws you in and you could go with option A or you could go with option B and, and, and not go towards what draws you in. And, you know, sometimes it's very difficult to be like, well, you have a choice in front of you as to the illusion and what, what, it's almost like, um, you know, what would Jesus do? What, what, where is love in the present moment? Like, what choice? And, you know, I haven't fully uh, conceptualized everything that's, that's going on in these types of experiences. But I think part of me is starting to suspect that with the, the way free will works is that any of those choices, all those choices have love in the moment. But sometimes we, I, I still sort of ask, like... Um, it's it's just interesting in that even though them all choices might have love in the moment, there there's they're different experiences, right? And there's and they're they're different types of um, there's different types of potential for learning depending on the choice. And it just it's a very interesting dynamic because sometimes when I ask the question, "Where is love in the moment?" What, what what would that imply in terms of this choice I have? The answer is very clear. Like okay, I'm like that friend friend example, right? We're going to a party. Well, I'm super tired. I'm just going to say no. For me, that's very clear as to what love in the moment would mean for me, right? But in other situations, you're like, well, should I do this or do this? Which one is, where would this philosophy love in the moment take me? And it's hard sometimes. It's just hard. Oh, I think this is a really pregnant point that you've made because I've never thought about it that way. But the, the, the idea of where's the love in the moment seems to uh, linguistically uh, imply that there's one right answer, right? Right. But maybe the love in the moment is what is our love in that moment? What, what about the illusion? What about the catalysis involved in that illusion pulls out the most um, the, the, the most potential the, the thing in us that has the most potential for learning. Right. Since it's all love, right? Like that's, that, that's the other thing that's so weird about that statement is that from the Confederation's point of view, like just about everything is a form of love. Yeah. So that's the question of which love will you find in the present moment? Not a question of whether you find it or not. Yeah, that's very true. It's almost like, um, it's, it's like choice, uh, choice of catalyst, <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 And it's like, um, it's almost like a, uh, in, in, in economics, they talk about a concept called revealed preference, right? The way that the market actors, the decisions that they make reveal what the proper distribution of goods and resources was at that time. It was revealed by the fact that the actors acted that way and not some other way, right? There's an opportunity cost to what they did and they chose to pay that cost and, and buy the flower instead of buying the car, right? Like, the the idea that this the 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 market is the uh, the the constellation of all of these individual decisions and that it shows us something by the very fact that they did make those decisions, 
in the same way, the present moment is kind of like revealing ourselves to ourselves in the fact that what stands out to us as love is the thing we're going to uh, connect with. And that is a reflection of ourselves. That's a, that, is a, that is a way to index where we are on our upward spiraling path to the creator. Right. And, you know, to go back to a quote that we read, uh, we only read partially um, of Ra's uh, 10.14, you know, exercise one, we read the first two sentences, but it actually talks about this a little bit more, maybe and illustrates it, that there's, there's always love in the moment. So for exercise one, this is the most nearly centered and usable within your illusion complex. The moment contains love. This is the lesson goal of this illusion or density. The exercise to consciously seek that love in awareness and understanding distortions. So there's always Good love, mind. but you yeah. know, it's, it's you can go deeper in a certain sense. It's a choice of catalyst. You can go deeper into exploring your distortion potentially. And that's still mm -hmm. an aspect. Everything's love, right? So it's still an aspect of understanding love and becoming more aware of it and becoming aware of its distortions because the distortion of love is ultimately in some way teaching you about love if not love right. itself right absolutely yeah so it's very interesting yeah uh they they it, it really is a matter of how deeply do we want it sounds like they're saying you know the the level of engagement that you have with the present moment will will kind of dictate what kinds of love you're able to find right uh, if your attention is very fleeting, uh, you're going to only see, like, for example, let's, let's do the quintessential love in the moment thing that people like you and me engage with, I think, which is, uh, encountering a homeless person. Right. Yeah. And like, it's, it's, it's never exactly clear how to help, you know, like you can give money, but it's never clear whether that's actually going to help somebody or not. And, you know, we have, and so we give ourselves these choices in that moment, in that nexus that we have to make a decision A or B. Um, but if we were, if we had, if our consciousness was more, maybe not enlightened, but centered on the possibilities in the full potential of the present moment, we would recognize that it's not just two choices, right? that we could talk to the person, that maybe just making eye contact is all they need, that maybe asking for guidance within is the way that we make that choice and not by putting all of it on our personality that's, at, at, you know, after all, in, in turmoil and disconnected. Uh, we start to engage with the full possibilities that are embedded in that. Whereas if, but if we're not at that level of consciousness, then we don't see it. Yeah. And what and, and the love that we find is maybe a little bit shallower. It's still love, but it's it's a little bit more surface, right? Yeah. Um that's a little bit uh, more difficult of an example for me because I, I I my parents my parents and I we always talk about this because they they hate or they generally just dislike Oof. encouraging homelessness by giving money to homeless people. And I'm like, "Hey, encouraging uh, homelessness." Yeah. <laughs> Sorry mom and dad if you're listening to this, but uh, I don't think we'll listen to this. But uh I just I I don't know. I you know, in the jobs I've had, I've worked with homeless. And so I always love like just generally being around and giving homeless people money or usually I don't have cash on me. So I'll just hey, be like, Hey, yeah. do you want me to buy you something? Uh, often I uh, keep like two or three cheap umbrellas cause it sucks to be in the rain and, and be homeless and give it to them when it's raining. Yeah. But, um, usually unless they look like they're literally high in that moment or they're like, <laughs> like coming down, they're violent. I don't, I give them money. I don't care if they get high or whatever. Cause 
Oh, I don't care about I mean, that if, either. Yeah. You know, th- th- living a homeless life, I mean, if the only happiness they can get is like at the end of a bottle, hopefully not hurting someone else, but whatever, <laughs> you know, that's just the way I view it. But um, it, sometimes it is hard. You know, it's it's there's so many different choices into as to what you can do. Um, yeah. And there's many different types of love, right? The different rays or subtypes yeah. of love. Yeah. And, and, and also that, 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 um, most of us have given the, who've given this some thought have come to some conclusions that function for us as ways to make that decision in the moment easier. Yeah. So that we don't, and this is, this is the thing that kills me, Nathan, so that we don't have to pay attention to its uniqueness and it's in the full realness of it at that time so that we can, you know, cause I, I have given, I have given money to get people away at nearly as many times as I've given it to actually help. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a very, very key point. Cause I just told you my rules. Right. And then I've right. noticed like some person who doesn't seem high, doesn't seem violent, but I just get this like, and I don't consider myself a judgmental person, but I just feel like occasionally, very rarely, frankly, but rarely it just, it just feels like this is not like, I don't know how to describe it other than it just feels wrong, like not wrong, but like giving them money actually wouldn't help them. Like, and it's not even a conscious thing. It's almost like it just feels yeah. the energy of it just feels off. And other times a person is high or something. And, but for some reason it feels, it just feels appropriate like i don't know how to describe it it's almost like an intuition that and 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 for me love in the moment is to a certain extent honoring as much as you can without going crazy genuine intuitions like i try to yeah i try to genuinely if there's an intuition that doesn't impinge upon my safety or doesn't sound like me going crazy and doing something insane i'm like you know what i'm gonna try and trust this intuition and sometimes it's about simple stuff like hey i'm just taking a walk and then for some reason I want to walk into the store of like antiques for no particularly good reason. It's like, it's, it's not even curiosity. It's almost like it just feels right. And I do it. Yeah. But I, that can also apply in, in breaking these rules, right. It, that we have for ourselves. So it's, it, it's a, I'm, I think it's a very important point. And I'm glad you brought it up that we make these rules so that we can avoid sometimes engaging in the present moment. Right. Exactly. It's like a way of not being fully alive. Yeah. Um, and uh, protecting ourselves from the potentials of the present moment. And, that's, and once again, you can't, that can't be understated because you know how much of our life is governed by rules, right? Relationships, yeah. uh, you know, work interactions, interactions with friends. And it is, it is difficult to be like, you know, don't follow rules because then, you know, you feel you, you, people worry, right? We worry that maybe I'll be taken advantage of or something bad will happen. And it requires a lot of faith to 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 be able to. Um, maybe you don't trust yourself as making the right decision in that given moment, but it, if you can at least have faith that even if you make a mistake by throwing these rules aside, that eventually you'll learn to trust your own judgment. I think that's a beautiful thing if you can get there where you don't need these rules, right? Absolutely, and that's why um, I think that as we are able to train our attention more and more on the uniqueness of each moment and the way that it presents unique choices to us that we can make and remake and remake to certify our polarity, right? It's in these like 
perpetual choices that we make when we're on, when we're, when we're uh, up against the wall, right? Right. That's the thing about the present moment. Got to choose. Can't go anywhere. And sorry. No, I was just thinking about an interesting experience I had the other day that I would have never done this, but for who I am today. Um, so basically, you know, uh, in my workplace, there's the opportunity to, inter- to interact with a lot of uh, strangers who are uh, colleagues, not like, you know, and um, basically I remember there's a person who like, I just felt like they had a lot of a very, very open heart. And it was very unusual, at least in, in my career to see that. And I didn't know them at all. And I remember just feeling like I had the strong urge to just go up to them. And I've seen people with open hearts before, right? But for the, for, I don't know why I had this feeling. I was like, I just want to go and just tell them to, you know, never change that aspect of, uh, like, to always keep their heart open. Maybe maybe I had that thought, thought because a lot of people in our profession end up closing their heart, right? But I, I was very right. strongly driven to that. And I was like, this is, okay, maybe I'll do this. But then I got distracted with something else that came up and I, I, did, I didn't do it. Um, and then literally like two weeks later, I saw the same person and I, and I, I wasn't, I was busy with work. I wasn't thinking about my earlier memory of uh, what I was thinking, but literally that intuition came up again, something, their interaction uh, with someone else I saw. And I was like, I just really feel the need to tell them. And so, you know, uh, yeah, I think I talked to him like once or twice before, like just a few sentences uh, on work related stuff. And so I was like, Hey, you know, this is uh, I don't remember exact wording I used, but I was like, Hey, uh, you know, I know this is totally random, but, uh, and if, and if you repeat what I just, what I'm about to say, you know, I'm going to deny it, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I personally meditate a lot and, and, you know, I, I believe in love and compassion and I, and I just feel drawn to saying that, you know, you seem like you have a, a really big heart and, uh, I hope you always keep that open and, and don't change that about yourself because this profession and, you know, <laughs> it just kills that aspect of ourselves. And, um, you know, I just wanted to share that, you know, and I said, and I'm just sharing this as one human being to another because sometimes, you know, you say something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and another person was like, you know, thank you. And you, you really made my day. And, and, and it felt like a very, it was weird because it was like a, it felt like a genuine connection with a, with a total stranger. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, later on I saw that person and we, you know, we just said hi, we didn't really interact, but it was, it just, sometimes you get these weird intuitions and you just follow it. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's a it, it it makes life more amazing, you know. Absolutely, I mean, I to me that's channeling. When you're able to act upon the world from a vantage point that you don't have complete command of, but it but you can feel it out, right? You can you can use that connection to spirit and bring that inspiration down into the moment, like. I, I guess that's why it's the gateway to intelligent infinity because it, it's, it's bi-directional. We can bring it down, but we can also use the moment to, to get out into the real world, to, to the reality that, um, you know, there is no time, there is no space, all it's one. Um, I, I, this is what I try to talk about when people ask me about channeling is I say, you know, vocal channeling is just one small subset of a more generalized way of mind responding to spirit and body responding to mind so that we can take the undifferentiated total love of the creator and manifest it in the limited, in the, um, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the crude matter 
of this world. And it, and like, that's, that's the thing that I always say is that if we're applying a rule robotically, then we never make an opportunity for that spiritual flourish that we can't intellectually understand how it might work out. You don't, you don't intellectually understand the impact that you had. It might be none. It might be something indescribable, right? Right. But like you have surrendered to that mystery. You have surrendered to the agency of spirit through you. And that's what channeling is. That I think is honestly what the, what the, what the message of Jesus was. And I think that's like kind of like the, what a wanderer, what a seeker is trying to do is more and more be that agent of the creator on the ground more and more fully being an instrument. Yeah. And not having to understand everything, not having to have to defend the self by explaining it or anything like that. Right. It's also, it's also sounds like the pathway to complete insanity. Right. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? You have to, you know, the, the fool's journey, right? You have to take a, you have to take a leap of faith. Yeah. And, and it's, it involves trusting yourself and also trusting reality. Leap of faith, also a moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, were there any other points you wanted to bring up? I feel like I touched on most of my stuff. No, I mean, um, for those of you who are interested in adepthood, which is uh, probably a very advanced topic related to enlightenment, I think, in some way, um, you know, Rod definitely talks about that uh, the present moment, once again, is, is key to adepthood as well. Um, so it's 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 central to everything. Yeah, and at some future point, I'd really like to talk about. I, well, I need to do more research on this, but try to flesh out the the uh, Confederation philosophy's approach to things like time and space, how they um, how they punctuate and uh, enable the specific kind of seeking process that we seem to be going through in, incarn in incarnation and contrasting that to the present moment, like to be able to see that a lot of what a seeker's life is, is these punctuated moments of insight with long periods where we're kind of not as focused. We're not as in tune, but we're getting there, right? We're doing like, that's part, like you were saying, like living life is how, going through these lessons, going through this catalyst is how we change. They're not, they're, 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 they're features, not bugs. Right? right. And like the idea of trying to understand your life as, um, this kind of sine wave where you're, 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 you're vacillating between complete presence in a timeless unified creation and, um, a separate existence where you're learning how to get back there. You're learning what separation teaches, what being trapped in the prison of time and space teaches, what it means to be embodied and not just a thought that can exist without position, right? What it means to be something that can change and transform while at the same time being the spark of a timeless, uh, uh, always present creator, right? Yeah. Like how we, how in other words, time and space mediate the process of seeking. I couldn't say it, I'd like, said it better. It's, I think it's a very uh, advanced topic, but I think it's a very interesting one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. I've often said, I, I think I've said to friends, it's like, 
space gives us the ability to achieve separation, right? If we, mm-hmm. if there was no such thing as coordinate space, then we'd all just be in a big soup, right? Yeah. <laughs> and everything would be everything else. And time gives us the ability to achieve separation and also go back to unity. If we didn't have time, we wouldn't have those uh, periods where we are less than what we think what we actually are. We, we think we're less than what we actually are. Right. And it's like time gives us the ability to, uh, if we are a very, very small focus within the creation, within the creator's mind, time gives us the ability to change the, the, the dilation of that focus so that we can experience different states of creatorhood, right? Different subsets yeah. of that. Well, I'm getting really really abstract now. I'm sorry. This is something I want to work on. Obviously I don't have it all worked out right now, but, uh, it's conversations like this that really inspire me to start thinking more deeply. So, uh, Nathan, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Jeremy, it's, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we go deep, don't we? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, well, um, I'm hoping that, uh, with, these two uh, episodes, we are getting back on a regular schedule of publishing uh, episodes. But please just keep in mind that like things are busy and we're doing the best that we can. I'm going to try and line up, um, you know, lots of guests so that we uh, always have something to talk about. Um, and uh, in the meantime, uh, dear listeners, uh, thank you for your support. Happy New Year and uh, stay in the love and light.